Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. Terror in Sarajevo, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Otto von Bismarck, the great German statesman, once predicted that some foolish thing in the Balkans would start a major war in Europe, and he would prove correct in this belief. On the surface, the Balkans appeared a relatively unimportant region, with many of its states lacking in full autonomy and dominated by other major powers. Underneath the surface, however, the Balkans was dangerously turbulent. The 19th century saw the rise of nationalism and an increasing quest by different groups throughout Europe to assert their ethnic or national identity. As the ethnic kaleidoscope of Europe, the Balkans was a region particularly affected by this phenomenon. In some cases, nationalism in Europe mainly resulted in a celebration of culture that was tinged by a chauvinistic attitude towards foreigners. In heterogeneous areas like the Balkans, however, with many different groups struggling to assert their unique identities, violence was often associated with nationalist movements. In an age of entangling alliances between the major powers, unrest in the Balkans would be enough to disrupt and twist the relationships between the major European powers. Across the Atlantic, even the United States was aware of the tension brewing. In 1914, President Woodrow Wilson sent Edward M. House to Europe to report on the political climate. House reported, The situation is extraordinary. It is militarism run stark mad. There is some day to be an awful cataclysm. The spark that would ignite this awful cataclysm in Europe would be a single act of terrorism in the Balkans, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and his wife Sophie. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was a wealthy man who had spent most of his life hunting. He was never intended to be heir to the empire, and probably would have lived a life in relative obscurity if not for the suicide of his cousin, Crown Prince Rudolf, in 1889, and then the death of his father, Archduke Karl Ludwig. These two deaths placed him next in line for the throne of his uncle, the Emperor Franz Joseph. Franz Ferdinand was never a popular prince or a favorite of the emperor. In 1900, he entered into a morganatic marriage with a countess, a noblewoman, but also a woman regarded by the imperial family as a commoner. This marriage did not enhance his prestige or position at court. Another factor that made him unpopular in imperial circles was his seeming willingness to allow the different ethnic groups in the empire to assert themselves. He was by no means liberal, but he did favor a reconstructed empire, in which the major ethnic groups of the empire, the Austrians, Hungarians, and Slavs, would all have their own governments but would be held together in a federation. Thus, each group would retain its own distinct identity and court, and the empire would remain intact. Whatever the Archduke's feelings on the matter, at the time the empire was dominated by Austrian and Hungarian elites. Few of these elites, including the emperor, supported any type of political recognition of the empire's diversity. Predictably, many of the different groups engaged in nationalist struggles resented this Austro-Hungarian dominance. In the summer of 1914, the emperor ordered Franz Ferdinand to visit Bosnia to observe military maneuvers. His wife Sophie was to accompany him. 
In Bosnia and Serbia, few were happy to hear of the Archduke's planned visit. Bosnia had been virtually annexed by Austria-Hungary in the 1878 Treaty of Berlin. In the same treaty, the major European powers had also agreed to recognize an independent kingdom of Serbia that would border Bosnia. This arrangement was meant to provide stability and a buffer zone in the Balkans, but this soon began to fall apart. In May of 1903, frustrated Serbian military officers, who were committed to an idea of greater Serbia, or Serbian expansion in the Balkans, stormed the Serbian royal palace and assassinated King Alexander and Queen Draga. Adding to the horror of the murders, they then threw the mangled bodies of their victims out the palace window. With the bloody coup over, the conspirators installed Peter I as King of Serbia. Committed to a more aggressive Serb nationalism than King Alexander, Peter I looked to expand Serbian territory and antagonized Austria-Hungary. In the years leading up to 1914, other Serbian nationalists would attempt numerous assassinations throughout the Balkans, and many times these nationalists acted as unofficial agents of Serbia. The region was clearly a dangerous place for anyone representing the empire, and for this reason, although the Archduke was relatively sympathetic to the plight of the Slavs, his presence in the Balkans was seen by many of the nationalists as a symbol of the crushing power of the empire, and the visit merely heightened tensions. A visit to Sarajevo, on the border with Serbia, was also put on the Archduke's itinerary. June 28, 1914, was selected as the day he would visit the city, and this must have been especially poignant to the couple, as it would mark their 14th wedding anniversary. Because Sophie was not considered the Archduke's equal in terms of rank, as a rule she could not sit beside him in a state carriage or play any kind of official role in public events. The visit to the Balkans would be different, however, as the Archduke would be visiting in a military capacity, which meant that Sophie would be allowed to sit at his side and participate in his official duties. Deeply in love, the couple probably looked forward to the trip. Unknown to the couple, the 28th had another meaning. Traditionally, it was roughly around the time that Serbians celebrated the medieval Battle of Kosovo, a pivotal event for Serbian nationalists in terms of remembering Serbia's long history of being dominated by foreign powers and of fighting for independence. As the details of the visit emerged, there were many looking for a way to challenge or embarrass Austria-Hungary. The Green Garland Restaurant in Belgrade, Serbia, was a daily meeting place for hundreds of students drawn together by their common interest in liberating their lands from the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The restaurant was frequented by Bosnian Serb students, including one Gavrilo Princip. Along with two other students, Princip was committed to carrying out an assassination as a way to defy Austria-Hungary. These three students were recruited by members of the Black Hand, a shadowy Serb nationalist group that had ties to the 1903 assassination of King Alexander and Queen Draga. As the group grasped for a target, they began to focus on the Archduke's visit. Fate, it seemed, had provided them with a target. As the date of the Archduke's visit neared, Gavrilo Princip and the two other potential assassins were smuggled into Sarajevo. On the 27th of June, the eve of the assassination, they were introduced to three other men who had been recruited locally to take part in the assassination, bringing the total number of assassins lying in wait for the Archduke to six. They were then supplied with six bombs, four Browning revolvers, and cyanide capsules by the Bosnian Serb leader of the Black Hand terrorist cell in Sarajevo. 
The next morning, this man positioned the assassins among the crowds along the Archduke's prearranged route of travel. Franz Ferdinand and the rest of his party arrived in Sarajevo by train and then transferred to a series of motor cars for a parade into the city, with the Archduke and his wife riding in an open, dark green vehicle. Days earlier, the Archduke had been warned of a possible attack, but he insisted on keeping to the schedule. At about 10 a.m., the motorcade began winding its way through the city to the City Hall building, where the Archduke was to give a speech. As the motorcade passed the first assassin, intimidated, the man failed to act. The second assassin along the route also failed to act. The next assassin the motorcade would pass was a man named Chabrinovich. He had come from Belgrade with Gavrilo Princip. Chabrinovich would be the first assassin along the route to successfully attack the motorcade when he threw a bomb at the Archduke's motor car. The Archduke's chauffeur spotted the bomb and sped up to avoid it. It bounced off the car and exploded under the next car in the motorcade, wrecking that car and injuring three of the Archduke's aides and numerous bystanders. Chabrinovich immediately swallowed his cyanide tablet and jumped into a nearby river to drown. The pill failed to work, and the would-be assassin was nearly killed by the angry crowd that pulled him from the river. As the motorcade continued on to City Hall, the remaining three assassins also failed to act. Frustrated by this failure, Gavrilo Princip left the parade route and entered a nearby delicatessen. Arriving at the City Hall, the Archduke delivered his speech. Reading from a sheet of paper still wet with blood that had been retrieved from the damaged car in the earlier assassination attempt. Following a short ceremony, the Archduke then made a fateful decision. Breaking with the rest of his schedule, he asked to be taken to the local hospital so he and his wife could visit those wounded in the earlier bombing. This change of plans would doom the couple. No one informed the lead driver of the change in plans, and as a result he took a wrong turn on the drive and the entire motorcade was forced to stop and turn around. As this was happening, Gavrilo Princip emerged from the delicatessen, and to his surprise he found himself face to face with the stalled motorcade. Springing into action, Princip moved towards the car. Pulling his revolver, he shot the Archduke in the neck. He fired again aiming for one of the officials in the car, but the bullet struck Sophie in the abdomen. Rising to check on her husband, she had ended up in the line of fire. As she collapsed, the mortally wounded Archduke pleaded with her, exclaiming, Sophie, Sophie, don't die. Live for our children. As he spoke, blood spilled over his uniform. Within ten minutes, both were dead. The world was horrified by the assassination of the Archduke and his wife. The 19th and early 20th century had borne witness to countless assassinations of leaders at the hands of radicals. Tsar Alexander II, Empress Elizabeth of Austria-Hungary, King Carlos I of Portugal, King George I of Greece, and U.S. President William McKinley had all been struck down by assassins. Industrialists, bankers, prime ministers, and other leaders had also been targeted. But only in the Balkans, the tinderbox of Europe, did the assassination of a relatively unpopular heir become a pretext for war. In the days that followed the assassination, backed by her ally Germany, the Austro-Hungarian Empire sent Serbia a list of ultimatums. Serbia agreed to some of the ultimatums, but did not agree to other demands. As tensions increased, Russia, an ally of Serbia, began to prepare for war as did Germany, 
the ally of Austria-Hungary. When Austria ultimately declared war on Serbia, Russia and Germany entered the fray by beginning a general mobilization of their armed forces. Coming to the aid of her ally Russia, France entered the war and was soon joined by Great Britain when Germany violated the neutrality of Britain's ally Belgium. Other nations, including Italy, Japan, and the United States, would be drawn into the conflict later. World War I did not begin just because Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie were killed. The causes of the war that destroyed an entire world order and ushered in a reorganization of values, borders, and world powers were numerous. Historian Lawrence Lafour identifies the changing balance of military power in Europe, the growing social tensions within European nations, the shrillness of chauvinists and the stridency of a semi-literate press and public, Anglo-German rivalry, Franco-German hostility, Russian expansionism, colonial conflicts, and commercial competition as just a few of the causes of the war. There were clearly many issues that needed to be resolved in Europe, and in the end, many of the powers were eager to go to war, confident that war would solve all the political, economic, and social woes of the continent. Like a physician bleeding a patient, it was thought that war would be the best cleansing remedy for a deeply troubled Europe. This assumption would prove to be false. Many also thought that the war would be fast, a quick ordeal. In 1910, a book entitled The Great Illusion set forward an attractive argument that economic interdependence would make wars of the future brief because the resulting disruption of international credit could not be tolerated by the belligerents for any extended period of time. The Great Illusion proved to be just that, an illusion. The war would quickly degenerate into a bloody stalemate, and before it was over, it would claim the lives of countless millions. Economic interdependence would play no role in ending the war, and in fact it would actually draw other countries into the war. Historians often speak of the long fuse that led to the explosion of World War I. What this means is that there were many moments in the decades leading up to the war in which it could have been averted. In a different environment, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand and his wife would have been viewed in perspective, as a tragic event, but not a world-changing event. But in the perfect storm that was Europe in the early 20th century, and in an atmosphere of saber-rattling, the assassination did change the world. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.